Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, where we can look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 495. On my most recent cruise, I had one goal, a stress-free cruise. And today, I'm sharing the easy ways that I went for a stress-free cruise and how I think I got it. Here we go. I recently sailed on Wonder of the Seas. You can hear my full review of it back in episode 492. But today, I wanted to talk about the ways that I went about it being stress-free. What do I mean by stress-free? Well, what I mean by it is try to come into the cruise with the least amount of friction possible so I could really enjoy it. Now, let me be very clear. You can enjoy a cruise, I think, quite frankly, doing almost anything. But what I looked at it was, what are the stumbling blocks? What are the things that personally make my experience just a little not ideal, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Again, this may be more of a Matt thing than everybody thing, but I think when you're planning a vacation, ideally, I think for most people, they're looking at it for a way to kind of relax, escape, and kind of take it down a notch, right? Certainly, that doesn't mean you can't do fun things. Certainly, it doesn't mean that everything is going to go exactly the way you want to do it, but I wanted to make it as easy out of myself as possible because I think not only is it just a better overall experience when things go easy, but in addition to that, it would also help, again, allow me to have a sense of, okay, this is more of a relaxing experience, less frantic, less, let's try to get everything in there. Again, a different approach to this kind of a cruise, but I definitely went into the sailing with this intention as opposed to other sailings where I don't really have this idea or theme with it. It just kind of happens or it doesn't happen. So I wanted to share some of the ways that I try to make my cruise as easy and stress-free as possible. Starting off with number one, and that is I did everything in the pre-cruise check. And I talk a lot about how important this is. And I've said this for a long time, and sometimes I've forgotten to do it. Like, oh, I forgot to do the check-in or forgot to upload my photo or do something like that. But let me tell you something. It is a game changer when you do everything in the app, complete all the steps, and then you get to the cruise terminal, and it almost feels like you never stop moving. Basically, each of the people that you talk to in the terminal kind of just look over everything, and you're good to go. There's less of this, okay, let me stand around here. Okay, where's this thing? Let me rescan that. It's a lot simpler. So doing everything in the pre-cruise check-in is so important because it just makes the terminal check-in process so much easier. So first and foremost, when you get to about 45 days before your cruise, you get an early check-in time. That really makes a difference when it comes to getting you know, to the terminal early. I have always been a fan, going back to the very beginning of this podcast, of getting to the terminal as early as I can, getting on the ship really as early as I can, because I want to start my vacation as early as possible. When you pay for your cruise and you pay whatever you pay for it, whether it's $500, $5,000, the cost of your cruise does not change if you board the ship at 11 a.m. or at 2 p.m., so I'd rather get those extra couple hours or a couple minutes early to take advantage of it. And getting an early check-in is definitely key to that. Now, if you do the check-in exactly at 45 days before your cruise, there's a pretty good chance you're going to get among the earliest boarding times possible. It really makes a difference. And I think it's a really good idea that when you get close to your sailing, to set a calendar reminder to check in for your cruise because it really can make a difference with getting that early check-in time. And at the end of the day, for a lot of people, especially if you're flying to your cruise port, right? If you're staying in a hotel the night before, which you should be doing, because I always recommend coming to your arrival city at least one day ahead of time, you're probably getting kicked out of your hotel room by about 10 a.m. or so. So it'd be really advantageous if you go straight from your hotel to the cruise terminal and not have to wait for a later check-in time. Then, of course, on top of that, you want to do every step of the check-in process before the cruise. Scan your passport, 
take a selfie photo. The selfie photo seems to be much of a struggle, especially for my family. It seems like wrangling cats when it's trying to get everybody to take a selfie photo. But anyway, take the selfie photo, add the emergency contact info, and add a credit card. If you do this, it really just speeds everything up. Super simple. Speaking of things you should do before the cruise to make it easier is definitely book your shows. If you're going on an Oasis or Quantum Class ship, you can pre-book shows about 30 days before you're sailing. And again, this makes it easier. Again, it's not to say you can't see the shows without a reservation. It's pretty easy to do so. You just need to stand in a standby line, but there's a bit of ambiguity associated with that, right? If you're in a standby line, will you get in? Will you not get in? How busy will it be? What kind of seats will you get? Things like that. Having a reservation is just easier and it's free to make a reservation. So again, set a calendar reminder. So the first calendar reminder is 45 days before you're sailing to check in and get an arrival time. And the, uh, and the next calendar reminder is 30 days before your cruise. Again, only on an Oasis or Quantum Class ship in order to get your uh, show reservations there. And I know it's really tough to figure out, well, you know, what time do I want to go see this show or will I be in the mood to see the comedy show? Do your best guess. It's better to have a reservation than not. So definitely something that I would recommend doing makes a difference. Number three, this was something that came out of necessity, but has now I'm rethinking this because I'm going on Mariner of the Seas uh, this weekend, and I'm thinking of doing this again. And that is actually taking a ride share to the port instead of parking. So the day before our Wonder of the Seas cruise, we were going out to dinner and my car had an alert on it. That said, one of the tire pressure was low. Now, of course, if you're like me, you probably roll your eyes at that because cars, I think, are oversensitive about tire pressure and more likely it's an anomaly than it really is an issue. But as it turns out, I looked at my tire and lo and behold, there's a, there's a nail in the tread and it's definitely got a problem there, right? Now, this is like 6 p.m. the night before the cruise. So to get it fixed or plugged up would really not be practical. I mean, first of all, all the places are closed for that evening. So the only choice would be to go that morning and I'm not starting off my cruise vacation day with, let me go to the car dealership or, or a car repair shop and at the mercy of them, hope that it works out in time, right? It just seems like a recipe for a terrible start to my day. And, uh, we have, we do have two cars, but my wife's car is the only SUV. My car is a sedan. So we don't have enough room for all the luggage. This is a seven night cruise. Kids coming, not an option. So as a result, uh, and because we live about an hour from Port Canaveral, I took a lift ride to the port, right? I, I figured this was our best next option. And I got to say, this was super easy. I mean, not that parking is a real problem, but there's a couple of issues. Number one, when you're being dropped off, all you do is literally get dropped off. You just, you know, they, they drive you right up to the curb. They you're, you take your luggage out, you go out and that's it. You're done. I mean, parking your car, depending on which terminal you're at is just, it's an extra step involved, right? And it's just simply easier in the sense that there's less to do there. Now, the, the compounding the parking problem, I'm not here to tell you that parking is a problem. I'm not here to tell you that, woe is me, I have to go park a car. That would be the case if it was normal. But unfortunately, these days, especially in Port Canaveral, and we're seeing this across a number of ports here in Florida, is the cruise terminal buildings are getting much fuller than ever before. When I was in Port Everglades on Liberty of the Seas in January, I couldn't park at Terminal 18, which is where our ship went out of. They had us go over to the parking garage next to the convention center and get bussed over. And I've only had to do that one other time, and that was because we were going out of a different cruise terminal altogether, but I've never seen that before. And in Port Canaveral, it seems like the garage now is more full than ever because there's more ships sailing. So just because 
we're getting on a ship, Wonder of the Seas, that had, you know, just completed a sailing doesn't mean that all of a sudden the garage is empty because everybody left. No, it was actually very full because there were other ships like Mariner and Independence and other vessels. Jewel, I think, was there as well. Anyway, my point is that the, the garages are now fuller. Now, we were lucky on other cruises because we get there early in the morning and there's still a couple of leftover spots from people that had left. But, you know, when we were on Wonder this is later, let me fast forward for a second. So we're on Wonder. This is now, let's say, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We're up at the Mason Jar, and you can see the bedlam that's be, that's that's playing out at the parking garage because the garage is full. And there's a backup on the road, and they're directing people. The surface lots are full, so they're directing people to this empty lot next to the cruise terminal where it's really storage for cargo stuff, and they're parking cars there, right? So I'm not here to tell you that parking your car is a big problem or anything like that. I'm just simply saying it is easier if someone else drops you off and this won't be available for everybody, but I got to say being dropped off with Lyft was a real revelation. And I'm really thinking about doing that again because it's just easier and simpler. And again, this is a question of how much do you value your time more than anything? It's not a big problem on the end of the world by any means. If I have to go park at a parking garage somewhere down the road or anything like that, but you know, I, I certainly appreciate the saved time and saved, you know, concern, if you will, of having to go park yourself. I remember when one time we were on a cruise, I forget which cruise this was. I parked the car myself. Usually what we do when we park the car ourselves is I drop the kids and the wife off with the luggage. And then I go park the car by myself. Okay, cool. I did that. And then I got back downstairs and realized I forgot my wallet back in the car because I took my wallet out to pay for the parking. So I had to go run back upstairs and go do that, right? Minor thing, minor annoyance, but it was time wasted and it wouldn't have happened if I had it dropped off there. So again, if you're valuing your time more than anything, definitely getting a ride to the port is a nice option there. Number four, I really feel firmly about this. And, and I know there's some people who love my time dining, but I really think traditional dining is so much easier than my time dining. I, I, I mean, again, I, this is from the outside looking in. But it seems like every time I go to the main dining room on cruises, especially in the last couple months, it seems like when it's time for dinner, I waltz right in, go right to my table, and I'm good. But as I'm waltzing in, I see this line of people lined up trying to get in for my time dining. These people look annoyed, and they're just standing in line, right? And I I just feel like this is an easier approach to do traditional dining than my time dining. There are advantages to my time dining. First of all, I'll be the first to admit, I don't love eating dinner at 5 o'clock, and I certainly don't even enjoy eating dinner at 8 o'clock. So it ain't exactly perfect, but I feel like the ease of my, of traditional dining outweighs the upsides of my time dining personally, but it's just easier. That's all. So I'll just leave it at that. Next up, definitely pre-book my own shore excursions. I mean, Royal Caribbean does a good job with their excursions. I have no problems with it. I don't think you're making a mistake by booking an excursion through Royal Caribbean. But I got to say, if you're doing a tour, a private tour, there are you're paying more for it, no doubt about it. But I feel like there's some nice advantages of it, especially moving at your own pace. You know, one of the things and one of the mantras you're seeing here, I think, with this episode is time over money over other considerations. And for me, I like that option of just being, you know, on your own and kind of and kind of moving at your own pace rather than someone else's pace. That's something that's always appealed to doing your own tours. Now, it's always not always possible, 
or practical because a lot of times private tours do cost way more. But if it's an option or if you're before you're cruising, you're considering options, it really can make a huge difference for doing your own reservations for shore excursions. On our Wonder of the Seas cruise, we did private tours. Well, we did things on our own, let's put it that way, in St. Thomas and St. Kitts. St. Thomas, we did a boat rental. In St. Kitts, we went to just a resort for a day kind of a thing. But in both cases, we were on our own. We were not relying on Royal Caribbean. We were not going with a group. We were just on our own. And it just made it just a little bit easier. It just felt like we were we could decide what time do we want to leave the ship. And when we were ready to leave the ship, we left the ship. We didn't have to go wait at a holding location and then wait for every single person to show up for the tour. Again, there are pros and cons to everything. Certainly, if you do a group tour, it's going to be a lot cheaper. And if you book the Royal Caribbean, there's no entity. You get back on time. You know, the ship will wait for you. There's certain advantages, and I'm not denying that, of going with Royal Caribbean. But, for, for sure, that is. But but when you look at it purely from a stress situation, or just making things easier, moving at your own schedule is really nice. Next on my list, and I got to say, this is, I, I'm, I'm going to end with this one because I think it's equally important. I took naps. You know, I for a long time had a real FOMO on Royal Caribbean cruises, meaning I would always have this feel, this nagging feeling of, oh gosh, I'm missing out on something fun. I, I, I got to go check it out, right? And this would happen all the time. And I don't know, maybe my kids would have stressed me out <laughs> to this point. But now I start to feel like, okay, maybe I am missing out on a really cool activity. But there'll be another cruise and I'll be able to check it out there. But really taking naps is a really small thing, but made my day feel 10 times more relaxing. Um, maybe this is out of necessity for staying up late because I'm more of a stay up late kind of guy and enjoy the activities at, in the evening as opposed to let's wake up really early in the morning and go do things, especially on a cruise. So when you stay up late and then wake up, you know, don't sleep in necessarily, you're going to, it's good. You're going to be tired. And I felt like those where the naps came from, but after lunch, taking a early afternoon nap really left me feeling refreshed for the rest of the day. And it felt like I had, kind of just enjoyed. I had more energy and also I was just enjoying myself more. So, you know, taking a nap isn't like, you know, a crazy secret hack to going on a cruise, but it really does make a nice difference there. And so I really wanted to share these ways that I, you know, had a easier cruise, a stress-free cruise, or at least less stress than other sailings. I'm not sure that every single tip here, well, actually, number one, you should definitely do the pre-cruise check-in, but <laughs> some of these, or maybe all of these, you can apply to your sailing and you can have a better time as well. All right, friends, time to answer listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I answer emails that you've sent me and we talk about what you've talked about. <laughs> maybe I answer your question. Maybe I say thank you. Either way, it's here to talk about the questions you've emailed me. And you can always email me your emails by sending them to Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. First email is from Lucia. Hi, Matt. I want to share a cautionary tale from our recent cruise on Allure. Went on a lure over spring break for our twin's sixth birthday. On the second day, unfortunately, our daughter got her hand caught in the elevator door. There's something about the beautiful glass doors that make kids want to touch them. What was terrifying was that there was no sensors on the side of the door. The door doesn't stop pulling when it senses resistance. I had to literally rip her hand out of the door. According to security, the doors only have sensors for not closing around people. There are no safety measures for when the doors are opening. Thankfully, she was fine. Nothing was fractured. I write this because the medical staff told us that they see this all the time. Actually, every week is what she said. Sure enough, the very next day, I saw a little boy about one and a half years old getting his hand caught in the doors by the arcade. I have to say, the staff were amazing. 
guest services to medical, everyone went out of their way to make sure we were okay. The senior guest services officer sent like $100 worth of candy for us, and my four kids were on a sugar high the rest of the week. He called every day to make sure that she was okay. We got future cruise credits as well. I hope that they have this fixed on newer models. Certainly when the alert gets upgraded, they need to fix this. As a parent, I care more about the safety than any bionic bar, ultimate abyss, etc. If getting the word out there about this issue saves even one little hand from getting crushed, it would have been worth it. Thanks for all you do. Thank you for the email. And this is something that actually uh, I think is very important to talk about. And, you know, it's something that I actually forgot about because my kids, as they gotten older, they've learned the lesson, don't stick your hands in the elevators. And I've certainly done the solution where, you know, I try to, I see the elevator door closing and I run to get in and I stick my hand in there or my foot in there. I, I'll put my foot in there because I feel like my shoe will brace it better. But there are situations in which I realize, oh no, this door is not gonna, not gonna open. It's, it's continuing to close there. And yeah, that, that really is, uh, first and foremost, I'm glad your daughter's okay. Second of all, I'm so glad to hear that the crew took care of you, but it's something, something that any parent out there should be very much aware of, especially with young kids, uh, that the elevators, you know, especially on, I mean, uh, Fleur's on an old ship, but if you're not on a new, new ship, that may certainly be an issue there. And by the way, one other thing to keep in mind, if you want to open the doors without sticking your fingers in there, hitting the up or down button, whichever direction you're going, does the same exact thing and works a lot better and will save your digits. Next is an email from Luke from Australia. Hi, Matt. I'm meaning to email you for a while. I seem to remember you were saying around the resumption of cruising that everyone should get the refundable deposit option when booking a cruise. This really confused me, and I don't understand why they even offer it. Whenever I'm booking a cruise, the amount added to get the refundable deposit is more than the original deposit. Wouldn't you be better off with a non-refundable deposit and simply lose your deposit if you don't cruise? Do you still recommend refundable deposits? Love the site of the podcast. You do the good work. We'd love to see you on Trans-Pacific someday. Luke, thanks for the email. So the issue is it, maybe it's not an issue for you, Luke. Maybe it's not an issue for me. I mean, I still, the reason why I recommend refundable deposits is people get irate when they book a cruise. Usually what happens is they book a cruise and then very shortly thereafter, they change their mind and they incur that change fee. Now you're saying, Luke, well, isn't it better to lose your non-refundable deposit than lose the, you know, than pay extra? For a lot of these people, the answer is no. They, they don't want to pay anything extra. They want to get their money back. And that's the issue more than anything. So I'm coming at it from the perspective of somebody who is booking a cruise, especially if you're booking a cruise well in advance and you want to change your mind. I think, again, when, you, when you're actually hitting the book button or you call your traveler, you say, yes, book this cruise. Obviously, at that time, I think you pretty much are under the assumption, yes, I want to book that cruise. The problem is, fast forward, something occurs, something pops up. There's some reason they want to change their mind. And... That peace of mind that you can not only cancel, but also get your money back is a reason to book refundable deposit. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, Luke. I still book refundable deposits that are out there. Now, there's a couple of ways to think about this. Number one, if I'm not 100% sure I'm going on the cruise, I personally would rather get my money back than anything else. Number two, this is a little trick that my travel agent also keys me in on, is right before final payment, you can still change the non-refundable. So there's a better rate. And you're getting, you know, let's say a week or two out of before final payment, and you know you're going to go. Why not make that change? It doesn't work all the time, but it is a little trick there. So again, Luke, that's the reason why I still recommend refundable deposits because it's for that peace of mind, especially for people that are not maybe, you know, veteran cruisers per se, but even as a veteran cruiser myself, I still do it. So I hope that makes sense. But hey, listen, if, if you're cool with it, Luke, and you understand it and you understand the risks, yeah, I mean... There's a good argument to be made there for incurring the change fee and saving money overall, but you know, there's, there's pros and cons to everything. 
Next email is from Mike and Faith Quinn. Hey, Matt, my wife and I are taking our first vacation without kids in five years. We're looking forward to our three-day weekend getaway on Freedom of the Seas in June. We booked the unlimited dining package and are a little confused about the courtesy reservation they make for you. Is there a place we pick the restaurant we want or are all the restaurant reservations chosen once we're on board? We're hoping to eat lunch at Giovanni's on our vacation day and avoid the rush of the wind jammer. Thanks for all the great info. We look forward to each podcast and hope to meet you on a cruise in the future. So when you book a dining package, thank you for the email, Mike and Faith. When you book a dining package, they make a courtesy reservation. Basically, all it is is an automatic thing where they basically, it's a placeholder reservation for you. But it's meaningless in the sense that basically once you get on board the ship, you can make whatever reservations you want. And that courtesy reservation can be canceled, no problem at all. I think, honestly, the courtesy reservation is a thing with the Royal Caribbean system, a limitation, I guess, where it needs to make a reservation to get you locked in. But it's just a, you know, it's an arbitrary automatic reservation that does not have anything. You don't get to choose the restaurant, but it's irrelevant. I remember a couple times with Mike and Faith, I would go on a ship to on embarkation day, make my reservations for the rest of the cruise. And they'd be like, oh, I see you were booked at you know, shops at six o'clock. I'm like, oh, right. That's the courtesy reservation. No, you can cancel that one. So, you know, it's just a, just a placeholder. You can pretty much ignore it there and, and go about it. So yeah, take the courtesy reservation. And then once you get on board the ship, go make reservations as soon as you get on board. Thank you for the email there. Our next email is from Nick. Matt, love listening to your blog podcast. Always a wealth of knowledge. Do you think Royal Caribbean would ever do a multiple night stop at a private island like Labadee? My wife and I love Labadee and we'd love to save for more than a day. Thanks for all the info. Nick, thanks for the email. I think the issue more than anything about this, and I love this idea. Number one, Labadee doesn't have night lighting, so it would need to be upgraded with facilities to facilitate night lighting, right? do actual overnight now if you're saying a multiple you said multiple night stops that's why I'm, I'm assuming you mean overnight if you mean more than one port stop like you know go there on day two and then go again on day three or day six something like that you know it, i would love this idea real Caribbean experimented with this with perfect day at coco key during well first during uh, right before the shutdown when perfect day opened up and then uh, right after that, when when the first Royal Caribbean cruise ship resumed in North America, which was Adventure, this is they were doing two days there, but um, but and I love that idea, but I there must be a reason why they they don't do that um, in terms of whether it's not as desirable from the average guest or logistics or I mean I think the bigger issue right now uh, maybe not a lot, but Coco Key definitely is that you know there's so many visits there that it's hard to find slots for everybody, but I'm not sure about Labadee, and I feel like. Maybe one day is what they need. It's a question for the for the Royal Caribbean that we don't have an answer to, but there just has not really been. I can't even think of. Well, I can think of itineraries that have done multiple days at, at Coco Key. I cannot think of intentional itineraries that have done multiple days at Labadee. So uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, I, and Nick, I would recommend that you post that suggestion in your post cruise survey on the next cruise you go on. Next, we have an email from Carl from New Jersey. Hey, Matt, in episode 492, there was a question asked if Royal Caribbean had ever lost the bragging rights to the largest cruise ship in the world in recent memory. You were right on track with checking Wikipedia. You can actually sort the table based on year, and it's a little easier to see that in 2004, Queen Mary II beat, he's using air quotes here, Mariner of the Seas. Queen Mary II only was able to hold on to this for two years until Freedom of the Seas came along in 2006. As you mentioned, once a waste class came to the scene in 2009, nobody has surpassed Royal Caribbean. So, there you go. Thank you to uh, Carl. Good information. Good research right there, Carl. I appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
And our last email this week comes to us from Kevin Mayer of Syracuse, New York. Hey, Matt, my family and I will be on our first real opening cruise in late July on a five-night cruise on Serenade of the Seas. Was thinking about pre-booking Chops plus one meal, or should try the main dining room first, and then if we want a specialty meal, book one on board after we depart. Also, can you recommend a tour or anything to do in Key West? Kevin, thanks for the email. So, uh, your first real opening. Yeah, so this is your first time. I would, because I usually tell people, you know, you, you want to augment the main dining room, right? Not replace it. And Chops Plus One is going to be two restaurant meals. I think actually Chops Plus One makes sense because basically if you pay for Chops or any restaurant um, on the ship, you're going to end up paying about the same that you would have paid for the Chops Plus One. So basically it's like almost a BOGO offer to some extent, if that makes sense. Um, so what I would do is I would book the Chops Plus One. But I would do the main dining room first. So I would do like chops on maybe day two. And I would do the main dining room on day one. And then chops. And then make when you get on board, you'll book that other plus one. Uh, Giovanni's is a good option. Uh, maybe Zumi as well. Anyway, go over there and, and enjoy your meal there. And then fall back to the main dining room as you see fit. Uh, for a tour in Key West, the hop-on, hop-off trolley tour is definitely the way to go. I've done this. I didn't, There's like two or three of them. And I forget which one I did. It doesn't matter. They're all the same. But do one of those hop-on, hop-off trolley tours where it takes you around Key West and gives you a good idea. You can, uh, it's narrated so you can see, you know, over here we have this and over here. And if something looks interesting, hop off, go check it out, and then wait for the next trolley to come back and pick you up. It's really easy. And it'd be definitely what I would recommend uh, checking out. I mean, obviously Duval Street is very popular. I remember, if memory serves me correctly, when we did it the last time we were in Key West, we hopped on the trolley, brought us to Duval Street. We walked up, we got off over there, had lunch, walked around. And then when we were done with Duval Street, we hopped back on the trolley and did a kind of a round trip tour to see all around Key West. Or, you know, and again, when you're sitting there, you can get a good sense of things. And, uh, you know, there might have been one or two things that we hopped off at because it looked like there was a cool shop or something to check out. And we hopped back on board. But definitely do a circle tour. It's a good way to see uh, Key West there. So. Kevin for the email. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Cream Blog Podcast. Of course, you can always email you, email me your questions by emailing them to matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt. We'll talk again real soon.